0: Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo, and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products, as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love Podcast. Welcome,
1: Lovers of Product. Today, I am here with Candace O'Brien, who's the co-founder of The Six. Candace, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little overview of your background?
0: Sure. Thanks a lot, Eric. And I'm so happy to be here today. So as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder of The Six. It's an innovation and design strategy consultancy. We started The Six about three years ago as a team of six women, just in case you were going to ask me, what was the reason for the name? And uh, my co-founder, Diana Liu, and I, we were management consultants, and we led an offering called Design for Digital at a large consultancy. Our focus was really about how do we leverage human-centered design and approaches like design thinking, design sprints to help enterprises accelerate their digital transformation initiatives. And that was everything from helping them build new business models and customer facing digital products or applications, uh, setting up digital factories to support rapid prototyping. Sometimes it was about helping them jumpstart their AI or their agile journey. So the range of projects was huge, but everything was focused on empathy, so really understanding who the user was and what mattered to them and experimentation. So creating processes that supported rapid prototyping, user testing, and getting insights that would give directional information that could be used for strategic decision-making. And so that really was the basis of our offerings when we decided to make the jump and start The Six.
1: So, Tell me about your earlier background. What got you into product? What got you into design?
0: So prior to consulting, I spent several years doing product and program management, rolling out enterprise e-commerce and content management solutions for companies like Uniqlo and for Heinz. But probably my first real exposure to the principles and practice of product management was as a trade marketing manager at a global CPG. And I was responsible for, among other things, creating physical products, so creating special packs of rice, of all things, for big box stores. You know, so if you happen to have a 12-pound bag of Uncle Ben's rice in your pantry, you probably have me to, you know, blame for that. So definitely, CPGs were in kind of hotbeds of innovation. There's a lot of that was flawed in the business and innovation model. But what was great for me was that it was an opportunity to really learn some of the most important aspects of product management, even if we weren't calling it that, right? So the importance of understanding our customers, the importance of leveraging user research and customer insights in decision-making, ensuring that we're defining product strategy in line with overall business strategy, creating a product plan, developing go-to-market strategies. So these were really elements that we focused on, and I had the opportunity to learn from fantastic brand managers. Again, my background isn't design. My degree is actually in accounting and economics. So my focus has always been on strategy. So getting those insights and being able to run large-scale projects was really invaluable, and I really benefited from working with that team.
1: So no, no desire to uh, have a career in accounting?
0: <laughs> I did it for two years and quickly decided that it was not my jam. But what was really interesting about it was that working in marketing and brand, it was the most useful degree that I could have because actually people think marketing is creative, but it's all about managing P&Ls. It's all about uh, managing strategy. So having that background was actually super valuable. So
1: tell me a little bit more about the six. What inspired the six of you to start it? And what problems, what big problems are you solving there?
0: Yeah, so I think all of us had some experience with management consulting. We'd had opportunities to work together. We really liked each other. So when we were thinking about the six and we were thinking about the team that we wanted to bring on, you know, what we were really focused on was how could we have real impact for our clients? How could we make them effective much faster? Traditional management consulting can actually be really inefficient and slow. And that's by design, because the model is based on, you know, kind of maximizing your utilization, maximizing your billable hours versus client outcomes or business values. So for an example, we had a telecom client where I was leading a research project, and it took three months for us to do user research. Two of those months were just spent figuring out who we wanted to talk to. And then we took another three months to do design mockups before we could even start talking to the developers and actually build something with engineering. And all of those delays were compounding upon each other. So building a mobile app actually took about two years for it to release. You know, Now, when we run a design sprint, depending on the types of questions or the problem that our client wants to solve, we are able to do just enough product research or just enough user research to really understand the opportunities, to really understand the user needs, and to get some directional insight up front. We're able to run a design sprint, a five-day design sprint, get the team aligned, and working on a high-fidelity prototype. And we actually test with users all in five days. So when I think about how long it took us to actually release anything versus what we do now, it's really incredible. So I think that that was definitely one aspect of it. We really wanted to create some impact. We wanted to do something different. The other thing that I think was important to us was we wanted to be part of Both my partner and I are people of color. We wanted to be part of a movement in innovation where we were more directly creating opportunities for other women and underrepresented groups. And that was about like staffing them, providing mentorship, providing more community. So the six, our company, we're actually coordinators of Google's Global Design Sprint chapters. Today, there are about 20 chapters around the world. And my partner, Diana Lu, is the global community lead. I run the New York City chapter, Design Sprint NYC. Uh, That's free in case there's anyone who's interested in joining. And we're really interested in building communities of practice around sprints. So we provide Design Sprint participants with opportunities to learn, practice their craft, access ongoing coaching and support. And we also curate leadership, development, growth, diversity, and inclusion events and activities for underrepresented groups. And it's our way of trying to give a more diverse voice and encourage more people to come into the innovation process and maybe have their chance at working on the whiteboard as well. And then uh, maybe the the last one is probably not as high-minded, but... I think it was definitely a factor. We were actually just sick (laughs) about flying around the country and it just seemed so inefficient. So I asked a couple of my friends who are still in consulting what it's been like with COVID and they feel like actually they're kind of more productive and their quality of work has increased just because they're not jet lagged like half of the time. So I think that was actually a real third reason for us. You know, How can we be home (laughs) more often? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, avoiding jet lag is a good thing. And I, and I do think, you know, <laughs> consulting has been interesting through COVID because not only do you have less of the travel issues, because tra- let's face it, traveling, especially plane travel is not fun for 99% of us, but you also have all the costs associated with that and just the, the disruption to your life where it's this new remote world has been kind of interesting in, in how much we get done, how productive it is, uh, all without getting on a plane
0: yeah it was actually really interesting for us you know we had a design sprint actually we are doing a design sprint with that client today but our very first totally virtual five-day design sprint was with this client that was focused on building an ai assistant to help people consume video more effectively what they realized was Everybody is now on these million calls, they're triple booked, they're all of these Zoom videos that you need to see and catch up on or whatever. So maybe there's an opportunity to serve that more appropriately. But what was interesting for us was this particular design sprint happened at the start of April, just as New York had gotten locked down, San Francisco had gotten locked down, so there was no opportunity to travel. So we really scrambled really quickly And we were able to make the design sprint absolutely remote. And we were very worried that, you know, people were going to get exhausted five days, seven hours per day. That's a lot, you know. So we were very concerned, but it actually was this really amazing collaborative experience. And I really thank some of the collaboration tools that are out there, Miro, that have really made it possible for us to run our business without needing to be, you know, in front of a whiteboard with someone.
1: Yeah. So let's let's talk about that a little more. So at at the six, you're using, you know, human-centered design approaches like design thinking. And you've talked about Google style design sprints. You're solving problems. Talk to us, give us an example of how you use those methods to solve really complex business problems.
0: So at the six, ultimately what we're about is focusing on helping teams achieve faster innovation cycles. And that really starts with moving them as quickly as possible from initial questions and ideas to insights that are going to allow the team to make strategic decisions. And our goal is to get teams to do directional insights as quickly as possible. So today, in many enterprises that we work with, it takes weeks and months for them to get insights and we want them to be able to do that in hours and days. The other thing that we want to do is focus on helping teams identify where there are barriers and bottlenecks in their processes today, and what kinds of resources and tools they need to build their product and their product management capabilities. So as you mentioned, we run design sprints for both enterprises and startups, and it really starts with us helping them define a product challenge or a problem statement. So we might have an example, a recent example of a client who wants to redefine access and permissions management across the enterprise platform. And that's our initial problem statement. So we'll use the approaches of design thinking is kind of an umbrella framework for all we do, because it's really focused on the ideas of empathy and experimentation. And within that one method that we use is design sprints. So we might run a five day design sprint where before the sprint, we'll conduct some user and market research, we'll do stakeholder interviews. And then over the course of the four to five day design sprint, we'll get stakeholder alignment on the customer problem to solve. We'll ideate on the solution approach and then work together to create a clickable high fidelity prototype that they can test with real users. And it should be at sufficient fidelity that they can get real user reactions to the experience. So, we're not just creating, you know, sketches. We actually want, if we are creating an app, we're simulating, you know, the facade and how it would work so people can give us real feedback. And we found sprints to be, like, incredibly effective in terms of getting people closer to insight. They're fast. They're time boxed. You know, teams are working together, but in a way where it's collaborative, but we're putting focus on individual input as well as the group work. And then we're also kind of minimizing ineffective brainstorming. So people get to a decision much faster. What we found, so I mentioned this client that we had done our sprints with in April of last year when we went fully remote. So they were creating this product. We started the sprint on Wednesday. And by that Friday, the team had really aligned on who their user target was. They'd sketched and storyboarded the solution that they wanted to create. And the founder had enough additional insight that he was really able to rearticulate what the value proposition of their solution was. In a compelling way, he was able to update the pitch deck. And he actually secured funding from his first angel investor that weekend. I mean, that was even before the prototype was done and it was actually tested. Since then, they've created their MVP. They landed two of their first customers. And now the reason that we're having another sprint with them is that some assumptions that were made about the target users based on the initial testing haven't been borne out because a lot of those target users aren't signing up; they're not buying. So, what's really necessary is how can we evaluate, reevaluate our assumptions? How can we tune up their vision and then pivot as necessary? And I think that's really an important aspect of this sprint. It's not just kind of a one on done. What's really important is that you need to keep validating your assumptions with the user. You need to ensure. the things that you believe are true for the success of your product are really true. So sometimes, as I mentioned, so we do product sprints, but sometimes the problems we're solving are not just about products or platforms. Often where there's the biggest challenge is around alignment. So at the enterprise level, when we're working with clients, we're often brought in because VPs or senior directors Maybe they're in product, maybe they're part of a kind of an innovation and transformation team, they're in operations and IT, and they might have multiple product teams that are working with them. Sometimes those teams have cascading dependencies, and they really realize the teams are stuck or they just can't get started. And then leadership starts feeling the pain. So they've got questions and frustrations like, you know, I can't get the data I need to make strategic decisions. I don't really know what all these different teams are working on or if they're actually making progress. You know, We're not able to ship anything. And we don't even know if we're building the right thing. So those are some of the kinds of questions and frustrations that senior directors, SVPs will come to us. You know, We had a recent engagement for a software company where they were trying to scale this internal analytics platform. And at the start of the engagement, The problem statement that they were creating was around, you know, how do we deploy this platform to make data ubiquitous and to make data as a service possible in our environment? And so we went in with this premise that we were going to be working on the product or the platform. But when we got there, like just within one or two user interviews, we realized that there was a much bigger challenge around team alignment. You know, there was an IT organization that already owned a competing platform that they thought should be the standard data platform. There was a product research organization that were hiring their own engineering resources because they felt their platform should be the appropriate standard. And then there was this enterprise analytics team that should have been responsible for data strategy across the entire organization and the data product strategy across the entire organization but they weren't empowered, they weren't funded, they didn't have any real authority. So here we had three different teams that needed to solve this problem together, but they have different P&Ls, different leaders, different visions for how things should work. And they had a very impressive list of Jira tickets. I think there were thousands, but they had not been able to develop their product roadmap or the platform operating model in over a year of trying. And we see a lot of variants of this when we work with enterprise clients, you know, product teams that are working in multiple functional silos, completely different goals, completely different incentives. So, you know, before we can even attack a product or platform problem, we needed to address the organizational issues and the organizational problems and really help them reimagine themselves not as three different organizations, but one team. You know, how do they become one team that's aligned on what is the problem to solve? How do they move forward with a common vision and a common operating model? So, we ran something that we call a vision sprint. Maybe some people call it an innovation sprint. And the goal of the vision sprint was to really help them develop their North Star. When we do vision sprints, we take elements of design sprints. So, we've created our own package of what a vision sprint means. So, it's elements of design sprints, particularly prototyping and testing on in a short time frame, combined with other business model and strategy canvases to help the team uncover, you know, where are the big friction points today, and then align them on things like their strategic vision, their operating plans, and their product roadmaps. And really, the purpose of the vision sprint was to help the team identify the right problems to solve, and then, develop an inspirational and clear vision of what they wanted to achieve. Cascading from that, we could move into, you know, what's the strategy? You know, how do we develop an actionable roadmap? So after the vision sprint, everyone was pretty much aligned on what they wanted to be able to achieve. And one of the tests that we did with them was asking them if they could take any priority ticket in JIRA and were the members of the team able to articulate how this existing ticket tied to the business objectives, tied to the vision that they had created. And if it didn't, should it be deprioritized? Should it be moved out of the backlog? So really trying to align what the team is doing to what the vision and strategy is going to be
1: do you find, you know, you, you mentioned you work a lot with both enterprise clients and startups. Do you find that, you know, a lot of the problems you're solving in enterprise are around alignment where maybe the startup problems end up being more product problems or product market fit problems?
0: Usually the when we're do, working with startups, uh, they're in very initial stages. So it's generally about product problems or product market fit. At the enterprise, what we've been doing a lot of work on, there are product problems, but it tends to be more of these kinds of vision sprints that we're doing. And we also do something called organizational design sprints. And there, we're actually working with the client to figure out, you know, what are the right structures they need to have? What are the appropriate roles and responsibilities? How does the team make decisions? What are the appropriate processes and ways of working? They should be following what are the rewards and the incentives that are important to the team because teams talk all the time or organizations talk all the time about the fact that they want people to experiment and learn and fail fast. But actually, the incentive and reward structures in the organization don't support that at all. And then we're also thinking about the people. Do we have you know, the right people with the right capabilities to really achieve This product vision and deliver on the product portfolio. So it tends to be like what we've seen again and again in organizations is that most of the problems are around alignment. They are around how do we scale our product organization? They are about how do we create some consistency in our roles. For example, like the product manager role is one that tends to be very loosely defined in most organizations. So sometimes you have product managers who are tech people. Sometimes you have product managers who are MBAs. Sometimes you have product managers who maybe are actually project managers or SMEs, you know, who have no background with product management. So one of the important things is really understanding, does the team understand what the role of product management is? Do they understand the role in relation to the importance for driving the strategy? And then what kind of coaching, what kind of upskilling do they need? What type of tools and resources do they need to support moving the team to a higher level of product management efficiency?
1: So what do you see when we're talking about organizational design? What what do you see larger enterprises getting wrong the most?
0: I think, you know, continuing to have people work in these functional silos. So a lot of organizations, I think, like they look at startups like unicorns, and, you know, they speak in sometimes in these hushed tones about pizza pie teams, and or squads. And they act like it's impossible for them to actually build small empowered teams that are really able to own product strategy and, able to own all of the elements of the project and it's not impossible it's hard it's very very difficult it takes time and it does mean realigning your organizational structure it does mean realigning your incentives it does mean training people but it is possible it's a structural problem that can be solved if leadership is willing to do that and if they're willing to really put focus and attention behind some of the buzzwords, you know, like you hear, oh, we are product focused, we are customer focused, but really translating what that means and cascading it down the organization is something that often doesn't happen. So I think it's actually really important that if organizations want to be product focused, that they are looking at these kinds of structural challenges and thinking about how they can change their organizations and how they can change their cultures.
1: So we talked about a lot of different problems that you guys help people solve. What, what are your favorite problems to solve?
0: I like working on alignment challenges because if you can get the team aligned and you can get this team moving towards a mission and the core attributes of the product team, strategy, design, engineering, You know they're well-aligned, they're well-balanced. You can achieve incredible things. So, the more that we can do to align product teams or the more that we can be part of those processes, we're actually really excited by and excited for. And I think the second thing is kind of aligned to that as well. It's helping companies take a systematic approach to building their product management foundations and building foundations that can scale because, you know, when you're a seven-person team or a five-person team, communication is really easy. Alignment is really easy. But once you start moving, even uh, as a startup, if you're a 50-person team, it becomes much more difficult. And then if you're a 5,000 person enterprise or more it becomes even more so so helping corporations understand or enterprises understand what are the capabilities that they need what are the tools they need what is the data they need so that they can scale their product management function so that every time they build a new widget you know it's not about reinventing from scratch every time they set up a new product team or a new scrum team everybody doesn't have to figure it out and i think there are like three phases to that where we focus on it's like helping the team figure out do they have the right strategy that aligns to their overall business strategy and are they actually backing that up by evidence market research and validation so are they actually using the information that they're getting to make decisions how can they standardize some processes? So our background is in consulting. A lot of our work was like about process improvement. So we're always looking for opportunities to standardize processes, whether it's like strategic alignment. Can you standardize things like road mapping and prioritization processes? I think the other aspect of that is product organization design. Do we have the right people, as we were mentioning earlier, Do they have the right skills? Do they have the incentive structure to really achieve what you want to do? And then product operations. So do we have the right information to make strategic decisions? Do we understand what data is important? Do we understand what metrics are critical? And it's about ensuring that the team starts thinking about, you know, what is the business data? and insights that they need to have. You know, what are the numbers that are important? And maybe that's like internal numbers about revenue and cost. Maybe it's stuff like usage numbers around the product. Maybe it's around churn by customer segments. But what is important from a data perspective for this organization? And then from an external data perspective, it's are they capturing the customer and market insights? Do they understand what's really important to their users? Do they know who their users are? And so we want to really set the stage and have people focused on those things. And then how do we actually create systems and tools that allow people to self-service the types of information that they need?
1: So I want to talk a little more about design. Talk to me about why design is so important in product and product management, tech products, really in general, and how it's underrepresented in today's processes. Because I do think it's underrepresented, especially at the enterprise and to some extent at startups too.
0: So I'm trying to pull the quote from Steve Jobs. He said something like, you know, design is a super loaded word. And what's important for people to understand is design is about how things work and not how you know, how things look. And I think that there is still this bias and this tendency to look at design and designers as people who make things pretty. And that's all that they're focused on. But even if that was true, and I don't believe it is, you know, there is room for making things beautiful. I mean, when you think about it, the market is flooded with products that are really similar and sometimes the only thing that differentiates those products is the design the look and feel that design experience I don't know if you've been on Instagram lately but there's the always pan and this is this $145 saute pan that comes in pink and spice and colors like this beautiful pan do I cook no do I own an always pan yes (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. It's just, it's just a nice-looking pan to have on my stove if somebody happens to come by, which I don't have to worry about during COVID. So there's definitely value from the visual aspect of design. And, you know, honestly, I, I do think there's a rise, and there's been a rise in the stature of designers And I do think, especially because of Apple, especially Facebook and other places, there are more and more people who are taking a seat at the table. But there's still this perception that designers only care about user experience, that they don't understand or care about business needs. They don't design for business needs. They only care about the user problem which is ridiculous. I have a friend, Aaron, who runs UX strategy, and he says, you know, we have a term for UX designers who don't incorporate business needs into their design process. We call them unemployed. So good designers are actually really focused on both the business and the customer. I think another challenge actually around design is what does it even mean? you know, when you talk about it being underrepresented, especially at the enterprise level, when we talk about design, are we talking about visual design? Are we talking about UX design? Are we including UX research? Are we thinking about industrial design? Are we thinking about product design? Is product design and UX design different? Are they the same thing? You know, is it about UI? Is it a combination of everything? And I think because there's still so much ambiguity around what is encapsulated in design. It's really hard to understand what the designer in product should do and what they're responsible for. And maybe that makes it hard to understand how they add value to the process and how their work contributes to the final product. And then I think the other challenge around design and UX in general is it tends to be really underfunded. I saw an article maybe two years ago or so. It was something like the typical ratio of designers to developers was one to 20. And then in terms of UX researchers, it was one UX researcher to 100 developers. So just think about that, you know, and then in addition to that, the organization was not investing in research. So they wouldn't hire a researcher unless they had about five designers. So that was kind of the ratio. But that was like really shocking to me, like this idea that the UX researcher slash designer who is responsible for helping to bring all of these market insights that should be directing the momentum and the approach of the product. You know, there's one of them, but there are a hundred people who are ready to code. So if they're not bringing in these insights and you have this real, you know, this feature factory where people are just creating new features without really thinking about, does this actually serve my customer? Is this aligned to my business strategy? It's just about output. It's not in any way about impact and business value. So uh, I think that that is a big challenge. What What um, do you think the ratio should
1: be? I mean, I, I think about it as like, you know, one in four, one in five, one in eight. It depends on a little bit of like what the product is when you're looking at, you know, design to engineering resources. I think some of it depends on the product context. Yeah. I don't know that I have a good ratio for for researchers. I haven't spent as much time thinking about that. And I probably, because I work with UX researchers and have done so less in the past, I probably am off, meaning I don't, I don't think of it as enough because I'd probably be the, you know, one in every, you know, for 40 engineers or something like that. I think one in a hundred is a little off. Is it every 30? Yeah. Is it a 25? Is it 40? I'm not entirely sure. I haven't really thought about it a lot.
0: Yeah, I haven't thought about it a lot either. But, you know, I do think, as you said, what's really important uh, with those ratios is what determines them is, is the nature of the product that you're creating. And then I think the complexity of the questions that you have is really important as well. And then as important is how you are building this research feedback loop? into your organization. So research, again, is not a one and done that you just do at the start of the project to get some initial insights, but you're actually having a framework and a process for ongoing user research, for ongoing user interaction, for ongoing user testing, and getting that feedback into the organization. So that being said, is it 2 to 40? Two researchers to eight designers to 40 developers? I don't know. But the gap is way too massive in terms of the ratios today. Because essentially, what you're doing is creating this really industrial mentality around development, where it's about, you know, we need to keep developers busy, we need to just feed this feature factory. And we're not spending sufficient time thinking about, are we building the right thing? You know, we're just in the cycle of building all the time.
1: Yeah. So I want to, I, I know we don't have too much time. I wanted to jump back to sprints, right? So let's talk about how we run sprints today. What, what do you see that teams get wrong? And how can product teams do a better job with their design sprints?
0: I think what we often see with, teams getting wrong around design sprints is the idea that they need to use a sprint for everything. So one of the things that's really important is knowing when is the right time to use a design sprint and when is the right time to use something else. A design sprint really begins with a well-defined and important problem to solve. And if as a team, you don't know what your problem is, You need to do some research and investigation, and you should spend some time doing upfront problem framing. Ensuring that you're coming into a team or coming into a sprint with a well-defined challenge is really important because you need to rally people around that. I think the second element of it is ensuring that you are bringing customer and market insights into the sprint and making sure that you are sharing that information within the sprint because you need to level set everyone and when we're trying to bring in these customer and market perspectives in the sprint we do that with the expert interviews which are part of the sprint process but then we also do things like we might build empathy and inspiration walls you know which are not necessarily part of the process, but something that we do as part of design thinking, because we want to ensure that the team has access to see that information, to get aligned around it. I think the other element of the sprint that's really important for teams to get right is making sure that you have an executive sponsor who has the money, the power, and the influence to facilitate the team to move and execute on the outcomes of the sprint if those outcomes are agreed to. Otherwise, you know, it's just been a fun exercise for people for five days. Nothing is going to happen and it's going to fall into the realm of innovation theater, which is the worst thing, you know, that you can do because I do think sprints are a really effective mechanism for getting. insights really quickly. But then again, you know, if you can't actually act on them, that's really challenging. And then I think as a general note that organizations need to think about how they do actionable experimentation. So what's important there is how are the experiments you're doing, making sure that those are actually tying back to the product strategy, tying back to the overall business strategy. And you understand how all of the experiments and the tests you're running through mechanisms like design sprints will actually tie together and can feed on insights that allow you to make decisions. I think sometimes when you're doing sprints, for example, in a vacuum, that might be one of the reasons that it's harder to execute on them because there isn't the sense that you know this was strategically important or you can show why it was strategically important for you to do that.
1: So a few final questions. Uh, Trends, what do you see happening in software in the next year that's really interesting?
0: So coming out of the last year, I think that we saw that there were a number of companies that were putting their digital transformation initiatives on hold. A lot of people are thinking about you know, how they can do things like cost cutting and, you know, how they can shore up their PLs if you're part of an organization. You know, there are going to be restructurings, there are going to be people who are losing positions in different organizations. And I think concurrent with that, there are a lot of organizations that are thinking about what automation initiatives that they can begin or accelerate to start gaining efficiencies and reducing costs. I definitely think that we're seeing people who are, or organizations that are focused on that and thinking more about how they can leverage AI and machine learning. We also see, and what we're hearing from some of our clients is that they are very much focused on AI ethics and thinking about how they ensure that their AI solutions support diversity, support inclusion. And I think that those are great trends that we're seeing where people are consciously thinking about how we can design our organizations and our operations for things like diversity and inclusion, for things like sustainability. So I think those are some key elements. I think what we're also seeing is maybe a focus on people creating Uh, simpler, but more human products, you know, so taking a lot of complexity out of the user experience and the user interface, and making it very easy for people to engage, you know, naturally. And although I have like extreme zoom fatigue, they have a good way of doing that. It's really simple. We're engaging as two people, there's not a lot of technology between us. And I do think that we're seeing companies and customers who are thinking about, you know, how can we focus on simpler solutions that really create opportunities for unique and interesting human interactions? I think the other thing that uh, we're seeing a lot of is, especially with startups, is Companies that are interested in building their own solutions and they're looking to no code platforms that will allow them to really move from their initial idea to a working application days, hours, depending on how good you're at it. So, we've done some workshops with a company called Thoughtformer that's kind of bringing some of these solutions. To the fore. So I think it's going to be really interesting because it means that there can be an explosion of new solutions that are not going to be dependent on the costs related to engineering.
1: Yeah, I think no code is particularly interesting too. That trend's exciting to me. So, yeah. two final questions. First, what's your favorite product?
0: That is a tough one. Um, they may not be my favorite, but they come to mind right now. So, the first is Robin Hood. And it's specifically because I actually set up a Robin Hood account for one of my young cousins. And, you know, he's a teenager. We want him to become more financially literate, we want him to understand the stock market. So, for Christmas, I set up an account and basically said, Here, you've got a few bucks in this do with it what you want. And it's been fun. It's been like exciting because he's been really into it. He'll text me, you know, his gains and his losses. He'll send me ideas about where I should be investing. So I actually love that interaction, especially from a jaded teenager who is mostly not interested in talking talking to me. So I think that's fantastic. But just in terms of the app itself, you know, I think it has a great value proposition. It has a really great user experience. It's just really easy to understand. The design is very minimal, but very beautiful and very engaging. They are actually doing a really good job with things like notifications and education. So I think it's been really interesting. And when I compare it to some of the brokerage accounts that I use, I mean, it's blowing them out of the water in terms of usability and design. So, I think Robin Hood's been particularly impressive. The app that I'm using the most right now is Duolingo. Every year I say I am going to learn Spanish and every year I don't. So, my focus this year, I'm very proud of myself. I am now hitting an 11-day streak and no es mascosa pero yo muy excited
1: <laughs> I got your I get but you're very excited so <laughs> so one one final question for you today I was going to guess at first your favorite product might be your pan but then I'm like no she doesn't cook so it can't be a favorite She <laughs> just like so you know what it looks uh but one final question for you today three words to describe yourself
0: I think curious I'm very curious about the problems people have, and I'm very curious about different ways of solving them. I think open-minded. You know, I'm, I'm very much about learning and I, I think that makes me adaptable as well. So I feel very comfortable being an adult learner and I hope to continue being that throughout my life.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been great.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.